You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Now, guys, here's a question, a little bit of trivia. What do the following celebrities have in common? Uh, Michael Caine, Joan Collins, uh, what's the guy's name? Let me just check. Wilder, what's his name? What's that guy's name? Gene Wilder, Uh, stay with me. Yoko Ono, wife of the former Beatle, John Lennon. Larry King, the famous uh, United States journalist, TV journalist. What do they all have in common? Anybody know? Some of the first said lots of money. Well, that's true. What else do they have in common? Not quite. They all turn 80 this year. Can you believe that? Yoko Ono, Michael Caine, Joan Collins, Gene Wilder and uh, Larry King all turn 80 this year. Now, this must be a, young, a younger congregation because in the first service they went <gasps> like that. Uh, just to say, whoa, maybe you guys haven't heard of half of them. Uh, but, you know, like for those of us who grew up with these, these celebrities, it comes as a bit of a shock. I mean, Michael Caine, he's still out there. He was in a recent uh, Batman movie and other movies. He's still firing Joan Collins. I haven't seen much of her lately. Uh, saw a lot of her in the early days. Uh, a lot more than what we needed, actually. But, um, you know, uh, it's interesting because we've grown up with these people being pretty active. And some of them even now are in pretty good shape. Now, look, the reason I mentioned that is because Moses was 80. He was 80 when he was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, given people lived a lot longer in those days, we don't know exactly why, uh, no processed food, uh, no artificial colourings and flavourings maybe, uh, natural foods, I don't know. But they lived a lot longer. And Moses, according to Deuteronomy 34.7, lived to 120. So he only lived two-thirds of his life at 80 when he was called to the breathtaking task of leading the children of Israel to freedom. Of course, Moses' rise to leadership was a pretty rocky one. I mean, there were lots of excuses, lots of fears, lots of doubts, lots of anxieties along the way. And this is all despite some spectacular revelations from God, uh, God's power, uh, including the incident we just read about, the, the, the incident with the burning bush. And looking at the life of Moses, look, we can be forgiven. I think we can be forgiven for being a little bit critical of this old guy because, I mean, we would love to experience some of the revelations of God's presence and power that he had. I mean, how would you like some of those to confirm your call into ministry? I mean, it's, it's almost inconceivable that Moses could remain so resistant to the call of God after what he'd, ex- he'd seen and experienced. And we're inclined to say, oh, come on, Moses, like, what's your problem? Where's your faith? What's holding you back? Look at this. God's obviously there. He's with you. He's calling you. But listen, before we get too cocky and too critical about Moses, let's reflect on the times when we have been called by God and we exhibit similar levels of faithlessness and doubt and hesitation. I know that's the case with me. I'm sure it's the case with you over the years. I mean, when God's call comes to us to become involved in a new challenge or to get involved in service and ministry, to, to show greater levels of generosity and 
testing by faith in that area or to reach out to a non-Christian friend or a family member. We often show the same levels of hesitation. But look, guys, here's the thing. We have a huge advantage over Moses. Ever thought about that? A huge advantage over Moses. Because from our perspective, we know where the Exodus journey and the promised land and the prophets and the Ark of the Covenant, like we, we know where all that fits in. We know it all led to the birth of the Messiah. It all led to his death on the cross, his resurrection. It all led to the establishment of the church. It all, it all led to the infilling power of the Holy Spirit within each believer. That's us. That, that power that enables us to achieve extraordinary things for God. That power which Paul describes in Ephesians 1.19 as the same power that raised Christ from death. Moses didn't know any of that. Not a thing. None of that. So he was operating on the basis of a somewhat limited knowledge of God. So let's not be too hasty to judge him. Because if we're honest, we're all there. Right where he was with, oh God, not me, please. Mind you, there certainly were some unbelievable revelations of God's power. And one of the most striking is is recorded in the next chapter of Exodus, chapter 4, where God bestows extraordinary powers on Moses in a sort of a concentrated attempt to convince him that he's the man. He's the one who's meant to lead the children of Israel out of slavery to freedom. Let me ask you, have you had moments? Think about this. Have you had moments in your journey with God when you felt a definite confirmation of his call into some area of service or mission? Can you recall some of you in leadership? How did that come? You had a chat with the pastor over a cup of coffee. He paid for it. You felt obliged. You worked out our system already. Uh, No, no, no. (laughs) But yeah, there was a moment, right, when you just sensed that God was calling. How did that look for you? Um, was it something dramatic? Or was it a quiet, persistent inner voice through the Holy Spirit, just working away, prodding you and prompting you to get involved? Having just returned from the Senior Pastors Conference in Western Australia, uh, I, I heard a lot about calls over there, uh, both the guys' calls into ministry and the call of God into specific avenues of service and the particular callings on the part of their churches. It's been exciting. And the common theme, whether a spectacular demonstration of God's power or that still small voice, the common theme has been the point of what I call breakthrough. The point of breakthrough when people simply acknowledge by faith, and it is a huge step of faith, where we simply acknowledge by faith that God is calling us. He is providing an opening, an opportunity to make a difference. And that's invariably what God's call is about. The call to make a difference. In the case of Moses, the breakthrough came when he was asked a simple question. Simple question. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this. The Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Now, Moses, of course, was a shepherd. And the thing he had in his hand was the shepherd's staff or the shepherd's crook. It was one of the handiest pieces of equipment you could have as a shepherd because uh, it could be used as a bit of a prodder, you know, get the sheep in line. It could be used as a weapon against rustlers or uh, wild animals. 
or it could simply be used as a leaning post you know, on those days when uh, the journey got a little bit hard and you just wanted to have a little relax. Moses was very familiar with this item. And he'd used it extensively in his work over the previous 40 years. But he'd never used it. He'd never used it in the way God was about to use it in this particular passage. God said, throw it on the ground. And of course, you know the story. It turned into a snake. And uh, understandably, Moses was scared to death. The Bible says he ran away. It freaked him right out. Now, God had a specific purpose in mind. And that was to show Moses. I mean, this wasn't a trick. It wasn't a stunt. It wasn't like you know, something out of Sideshow Alley. God had a specific purpose in mind. That was to show Moses that the thing he was holding, the item of equipment he knew so well, the talent he developed throughout his lifetime, that, that, that staff, that, these things all had potential, enormous potential of achieving God's purposes for his people. And of course, as you as many of you know, the story of Moses as it unfolded. That staff was used over and over again, both prior to the departure from Egypt and certainly on the journey to the promised land. Exodus chapters 7 to 10 describes in vivid detail, horrific detail, the way in which Moses' staff was used in bringing about a whole series of plagues and pestilences on the people of Egypt as a way of softening Pharaoh up and helping him to see the need for liberation. Pretty scary stuff. But once clear of Egypt, there's that moment in, the, in the Exodus chapter 14 when Charlton Heston, uh, well, I mean Moses, uh, raises, <laughs> see too much movies, too many movies, raises his staff and, uh, and the waters of the Red Sea part. How many times have we seen that depicted in, in Hollywood? And then uh, in the same chapter, uh, or rather Exodus 17, uh, Moses strikes the rock with his staff and water pours from the rock and takes care of their of their thirst and so on. In the same chapter, uh, during a fierce battle with the Amalekites, every time Moses raises his staff, the Israelites gain the ascendancy in the battle. But when he gets a little bit tired and starts to wilt a little bit and the staff drops, the Israelites go on the losing side and the Amalekites start to gain the upper hand. Talk about pressure. I mean, talk about pressure. I mean, if there's one thing 80-year-olds don't do well, and that is keep, stay in the one spot and keep their arms up for too long. Um, in fact, come to think of it, not many of us do that at all anyway, at all that well. And so in, in Moses' case, what happens? Um, Aaron and a guy called Hur, first name Ben, no doubt. Uh, they, they arrange for poor old Moses to stand on, or rather sit down and then they get either side of him and hold his arms up, poor old fella. So that, so that he keeps the, the staff up and, and the Israelites prevail and they win the victory. It worked. Guys, look, here's the thing. God used this humble shepherd's crook, which Moses had 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 in his hand for much of his life. God used it as a sign of his authority. He used it to get the job done, to deliver the children of God to the promised land. Now, friends, you can can see the spiritual principle unfolding here. Many of you have heard this interpretation or similar on this passage before. There's a spiritual principle unfolding here. There's an unmistakable pattern in the Bible where God has used what people had in their hands to do his work in a miraculous and a mighty way. David, a sling and five smooth stones. That's what he had in his hand. And God used that to deliver a great victory to the Israelites. What about at one point in the ministry of Jesus? They come across a boy. He's got five loaves, a couple of fish. That's all he had in his hand. And Jesus used that 
to perform an incredible miracle, a feeding of the 5,000. Someone else had the keys to an upper room and they made it available for Jesus to meet with his disciples for the Last Supper. In the course of his work, many people made their homes available to Jesus. Someone gave him a donkey for that final triumphant ride into Jerusalem. And uh, we read of Jesus getting into boats, obviously made available by the fishing fraternity with whom he was uh, mixing. And so as he posed a question to Moses, so God has posed this question to countless numbers of people down through the centuries. And he asks the question of us today. What have you got in your hands? What have you got in your hands? What is part of, what is part of you, known by you, familiar to you, that I can use in my ministry? My ministry of reconciliation and transformation. And of course, what we have What we have in our hand can be used in amazing ways by God once we accept certain things. And these points of acceptance and belief, they're not complicated. They're very simple, but they do require faith. You see, when we consider what's in our hand, the talent we have, the skill we have, the ability we have, we need to accept it's a gift from God. Just need to acknowledge that. I mean, the non-believer, okay, the person without faith, the non-believer, they think we're here as a, as a, as a biological accident. We're just here, some are gifted, some aren't, that's just the way it is. We're just here as a biological accident. Whereas the person of faith, the person of faith believes we're here for a God-given purpose. Our gifts, our abilities, our resources, our character traits, these are all to be used in service and ministry to others. That's our calling. And so much of our Lord's teaching is devoted to the theme of the difference, Christians, the, the body of Christ, the difference we are meant to make in the world. And friends, also what's in our hand can be used mightily by God if we accept that it, it's special to us. It's special to us. I don't mean necessarily unique to us. I mean, Moses wasn't the only shepherd around at that time. He wasn't the only guy with a staff. But... This is very relevant in that God used an item of equipment most familiar to Moses. He didn't ask him to become proficient in the use of a fisherman's net. He didn't ask him to skill up on a carpenter's plane because they weren't familiar to Moses. He took what he had. He took that which was familiar to him. And friends, in my experience, both personally and in terms of my dealings with people in pastoral ministry, That's the point invariably where Jesus starts. He starts with what you have, who you are. He may modify you, change you, develop you, of course. We're all different to where we were five years ago, ten years ago, even one year ago. But he starts with where we are now, who we are, what's familiar to us. We all have skills, abilities and aptitude which God through the Holy Spirit can hone and develop for his purposes. Over the years, and certainly here at Northside, I've seen... Those in executive positions bring gifts of discernment and courage and decisiveness to the work of the kingdom. I've seen tradespeople, particularly my last church, bring the gifts of practical knowledge, encouragement, um, a desire for excellence. I've seen people in the health industry bring compassion, sensitivity, empathy. And so you could go through all the different skill sets that people have and the areas in which they work. But of course, in all these cases... As people understand the usefulness and the importance of what's in their hand, nothing starts to happen. It needs to be surrendered willingly to God. That's the starting point. 
What we have in our hand needs to be surrendered willingly before he can begin to utilise our gift fully in his service. And friends, as so many here have found, in that surrender, there is tremendous liberation and freedom. This is one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith. Surrender, but it leads to freedom. People don't understand it until you see it through the eye of faith. It makes no sense until you see it through the eye of faith. Surrender leads to freedom and liberation. It wasn't until Moses stopped with the excuses. It wasn't until he quit with the doubting. It wasn't until he was able to step out in faith that he really started to become the leader God had intended him to be. Up until then, he'd been herding sheep. He was about to start herding people. Hundreds of thousands of them across the Sinai Desert. Before Moses could set the people free, he had to be set free. Free from the things that were holding him back. Free from the inhibitions. Free from the things that were causing his doubt and his faithlessness. So the question of you and me, God is asking today, what's in your hand? What have you got in your hand? What are the gifts God has given to you, to me? Not necessarily the things you're going to have to acquire in the future. That's great possibilities there. But what have you got in your hand right now? What's natural to you? What comes very naturally? How can God use that? Are we willing to surrender what's in our hand for the work of the kingdom? The way I make sense out of all this is to remind myself that we are part of a body. Okay? This is the body of Christ. This is the living, breathing organism of the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And everybody has a part to play in it. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says this, The Spirit's presence is shown in some way in each person. Not just those spiritual people like who up on the platform, oh, they've they, they, they got gifts and they've got abilities, they've got things in their hand, they, they're playing them. Uh, and not, not these great leaders who do other things with Bibles in their hand and, and, and workbooks in their hand. That's not me. No, no. The Spirit's presence is shown in some way in each person, in every person, for the good of all. And I take that all to mean not only within the body, but also those who need our ministry out there in the community. You know, friends, look, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to reflect on the season of mission and ministry we seem to be passing through here at Northside. As increasing numbers of people are discovering what's in their hand, we've been reporting at night, and we're going to do it in the morning before too long, on the tremendous work that's happening in our youth ministry at the moment. Uh, we're getting record numbers on a Friday night. Um, some Sunday nights, the first couple of rows are filled with teenagers. That's because there are some of our young adults who've discovered that what's in their hand is the gift of being able to relate to teenagers, even though they're not very far removed from that age group themselves. And our leaders under the leadership of Kristen Haddon are doing a mighty job with what's in their hand. Uh, we've got a, a training session coming up in a few weeks' time for connection group leaders, potential connection group leaders. And we've said to people, you know, we, we deem that you've got the gifts to do this. Very few of the people have ever led a group, those who are doing this. But people are saying, you know what, I'll, I'll train. I'll see if that's in my hand. I'll bring what's in my hand and let's see if God can, can use it. Our team in Madagascar at the moment, what can you say? Each of those guys has been through the process of what's in my hand and how can I use that in service for Christ. Uh, yesterday I had an inspiring experience at, uh, down at the heart of Glebe. This is the, the place in the inner city suburbs of Sydney where we send a team down there every, every month. 
And they tell me that now we've got pretty 60, 70, maybe 80 people over the years who've participated in that ministry at some point or other. Many of you sitting here this morning. Well, it came to a bit of a climax yesterday when we officially opened, they had a member of parliament there, cut the ribbon and opened the shed, what's called the shed, much needed facility for this, uh, this op shop that is the heart of the, is at the centre of the heart of Glebe. And there was special recognition for the Northside team. They were called up and just, they were just you know, given a, a strong word of thanks for the work that they have done over many, many months. As people have said, well, what's in my hand? What can I do? And some of them go down there and they can't do practical. They just make cups of tea or go around and talk and share with some of these people who are among some of the most beautiful people in our city, but also some of the saddest people in our city. You know, these are people struggling with all kinds of emotional and uh, physical ailments, a struggling community. But I see them as the treasures of the church. You know, these, are the really, these are the people for whom Christ died, and we have a, the awesome privilege of ministering to them. So guys, I'm excited and the rest of the team are excited by what we're seeing in this season of mission and ministry as people say, what's in my hand? Now you can appreciate that we need many more of you to say that. We still struggle with all sorts of areas of ministry, children's particularly. We need more to say, what's in my hand? Well, you know what's in my hand? I had years of, of ministry among children and I thought, well, you know, that's over. But you know, our kids need older mentors our kids need men and women in their 40s and 50s and in their 60s who are grandparents who, who can you know, have the privilege of just sowing into the lives of some of these kids. What's in your hand? That's the question we are constantly challenging all of us to ask. And we'll continue to aspire to the church God intends us to be as increasing numbers discover we have in our hands what is needed to achieve his work here. We've just all got to open the hands and grasp the opportunities. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?